Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Today we have special uh, guest, uh, Chief of Police from Albany, Oregon, uh, and she's going to walk us through what she's doing for her officers um, there in Albany, as well as um, what her experience over the 30 plus year career, well, coming up to 30 year career uh, that she has had in law enforcement. Looking forward to it um, with Marcia Harnden. Uh, But before we start, I always like to prime you with what to expect. And what I want you to do today is I just want you to take one thing away from this interview and start to implement it. I say this at the start of every in, uh, every one of these interviews uh, because it is so important. We have unlimited information out there. You can learn most of the stuff that you'll hear today from Google. But the problem is, is that people aren't actually implementing it into their lives. So I want you to take one thing, implement it in. You can come back, listen again, take more. Plus also please like subscribe, and also share this episode around if you feel it it was impactful. Uh, So without further ado, uh, Marcia, why don't you take it away? Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, how you got to where you are now, um, and maybe some of those experiences of burnout. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, Again, uh, Marsha Harden, the Chief of Police in in Albany, Oregon. Uh, May 1st will bring me to 30 years in in law enforcement. It went by like that. absolutely no regrets at all. Uh, But there have been some times that has been difficult. And I think that is a lot of of my why and my mission uh, here as the chief of police. Uh, I've been here for three years, uh, started in January of 2020. Uh, I had about five seconds before the pandemic hit. uh, And so no honeymoon period whatsoever. Uh, But I uh, came from Bellevue, Washington, uh, where I did 27 years, started there in 1993, uh, and kind of didn't fall into law enforcement. I always had an interest in it, but uh, you can't tell from the video, but I'm only five foot three. And so uh, I'm not not big. Um, uh, I project big, but I am I'm not big. And um, so I went to the University of Washington, best university on the planet, by the way, Sam. Uh, but I went to the University of Washington and I was headed into a teaching career. Um, history and speech communications is where I have my degree uh, from there. But I always had this kind of drive towards uh, law enforcement. I was an explorer for the Bellevue Police Department. But again, thought I was too small uh, that I would never be able to get the job there. Great mentors. That's lesson number one in my life is I had great mentors that got me to where I am today. I would not be chief of police here in Albany if I didn't have great mentors that said, yeah, you could do this. And yeah, they need you. And it's, it's a great move to make uh, because I was going to leave Bellevue one way or the other because I was done. Uh, I was working 60 hours a week, commuting one way in good traffic at 90 minutes. Uh, it's 35 miles, 90 minutes uh, in the Seattle area. Uh, and at the time, the agency was in a position where leadership, uh, in my opinion, felt uh, very focused more on the outside and the image of the outside than the inside. And I, I'm uh, if there's a criticism or uh, a tendency of mine, I tend to be very protective uh, and supportive of the people that work for me. And so that was a that was a tough mesh, and a decision to to change was coming. Uh, and that's a scary place when you're leaving and you're only in your uh, early 50s, maybe not even 50 yet, and you're making a change, major career change. Uh, and this job uh, opened down here in Albany. A couple people sent it 
in my direction so that I would uh, take a look at it. Uh, I said, you know what, there's just really nothing to lose. I got permission for my other half to give it a go uh, and beat out 35 or so people for the job. And I've been here and it's been rough. It's been really rough. Uh, COVID was really hard on policing. Uh, the death of George Floyd was extremely hard and continues to be hard on policing. Uh, and so it, I wouldn't say that it's been easy road by any means, but we've gotten through it and we've come out with our heads held high because we look out for each other. Uh, and I look out for the people that work here in the profession and not just the people that work uh, and have this patch on, the people that are uh, in the profession in general. I think uh, if anybody looks at my uh, LinkedIn tagline, it says leaving, I always try to leave people uh, in situations better than I found it. And I really believe in that. And so I've been here um, for three years. Uh, the, they joke at, and look at me like, what did you bring here? Because it has been really nonstop for three years. Never really uh, had any breathing rooms as we got here. And Chris, as I was telling you before we started recording, um, we, we eased out of 2022 and I thought, oh, okay, maybe we're getting a little bit of a break here. Uh, and January 2nd through, uh, February 8th, uh, we had three critical incidents, all of which involved individuals pointing or firing, uh, guns at the police. Uh, and two of those ended up in the officer involved shootings. Uh, one was an ambush, uh, where we were very fortunate that our officers didn't get hurt. So we've just managing crisis after crisis after crisis. And a lot of times uh, people go, wow, wow, how are you doing? And I would say probably the, the third one this year, my cup was pretty tapped out um, and my, my emotions were thin, but um, I got through it because of, uh, I invest that energy positively back in the people that work here, um, good relationships uh, and it, it refills my cup, regenerates when I know that my folks here feel that they're supported and taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, we've done a lot of work around wellness in this agency. Uh, it's a, a stern to stem type approach. The minute they get hired to the minute they leave us, uh, they have support in place. Even the, the fact that we're trying to get um, our FTOs and our first level supervisors, our sergeants, uh, all trained up on what to look for. And we empower them to unplug people from the job that maybe need that break. So um, lots of work. That's a lot that I've uh, thrown at you in a short period of time, but I'll, I'll let you ask some questions and I'm happy to answer anything. But uh, I'm a firm believer. Uh, also, when bad things happen, you have an operational response and you have a people response and you have to do both as a leader. You have to do both if you're going to take care of your people. Don't expect them to say, hey, I, I need a, I need help or I need a break. They're not going to do it. They're going to say, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm in it for the team. And that's just not the case. Uh, we have to be able to unplug people and get them uh, a little bit of a break from the job to process that trauma. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Marcia. There's so much and there. there's so many questions that I want to ask. And I know before we started recording, there's some of it that uh, you probably already answered, but I uh, want it for listeners and viewers now that we're actually recording as well. Wow. So, so 27 years, then moving into chief, starting right before COVID. I know I've interviewed another chief, a couple chiefs, um, actually a chief up in uh, Marysville 
uh, Eric, he started just before COVID as well. And uh, it was a very interesting conversation on how he, how he's been able to, you know, it's the same thing. I feel like people that were hired right before COVID and you got thrown straight into the deep end of really the worst that it could get, hopefully um, that you, you know, you had to, you had to help evolve and, and learn and, and work with the officers that you lead, because if you didn't, yeah, it beca- it's become really bad. And you've seen that in some other police stations, like the police departments, I, I, I believe. Um, before we get started into the depth of things, uh, what would you say your definition of burnout is for you? Uh, for me, it's probably just the feeling of being uh, tapped out and mentally tired. Um, so again, I've always been fairly active, uh, played soccer my entire life, uh, get plenty of uh, at least moderate exercise in, but it's the the mental fatigue of weariness and just being tired. And in fact, we were just talking about it this week um, because we've been through so much even in 2023 that we're just just a, a constant feeling of being tired and weary. Uh, and what does that look like to try to fix that? Well, a, a break uh, for sure. Uh, one of the things I told people here when I got uh, to Albany was when they went on vacation, especially management, they were expected to check their emails um, while they're on vacation. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and we're not doing it right if there's not somebody to step in your shoes temporarily to do your job so you can actually unplug. We're going to be better leaders if we can uh, disconnect, recharge, and then re-engage. And we, there's this constant 12-hour day, uh, your phone's ringing all night long. Sometimes you just, you need to step away. You're going to be a better employee for it. Uh, I love, I love that. I love that response. And I love the, the, the thoughts on you that you have for how to, how to change that. Let's jump to your previous 27 years before becoming, before, before becoming chief. You said you started, you didn't ever think that it was actually something that you could probably do because of your height and that. How'd you end up actually overcoming that barrier? Because five foot three, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I worked with somebody and actually I was doing my diplomatic protection qualification course, saw somebody that was probably, uh, I think she was about five, two, maybe. And all of us on diplomatic protection, I mean, we're all big guys, you know, where we're the hot shots we've been in, you know, years in that. And we're there and we see these recruits and we see her and we're just like, really? Like how? And then um, I ended up working with her when I went back to frontline um, after that qualification course. And I swear she was one of the best cops that I ever worked with. And I still message her to this day and see how she's doing. I think she's left the police now as well. Um, but how did you overcome that, that hurdle that you kind of had put on yourself? And then also how was it being, you know, in the police with that, you know, that initial hurdle that you had on your, on, on mine? Uh, well, I think I, I'm going to steal a line from a, a colleague who said, I, I never tried to be like one of the guys. I just tried to be me and be the best officer I could be as me. Um, anybody that's been in this profession long enough knows that this job is more about this <laughs> and this than this. And so uh, there's been a number of times where I've had situations where I really just kind of had to... Um, BS my way through it uh, until my backup got there or anything like that. And uh, and also was not afraid to jump in. Uh, I was on FTO, I think my first week, and we dealt with some uh, mentally emotional guy who's going crazy at his parents' house. 
and we just uh, I jumped right in went hands on and and that got pepper sprayed somewhere in there but um it, it uh worst. I'm not afraid to jump in and uh it's not you know the fake it till you make it is just you just do it until it's done uh yeah. kind of approach and never really showed the fear although you you feel it inside um mm. actually the being shaken uh that feeling didn't really come until I had really kind of traumatic experiences and saw how Marsha reacted to those traumas, you know, shaking hands. Um, my coworkers would laugh because when I get really stressed, I giggle. Uh, and so I'd be giggling on perimeters or whatever the case may be, but um, you just, it's that, you, know, you talk about officer presence, but it's the same thing as that confidence presence. Uh, I, I, I'm safe to say, I feel very confident that uh, nobody was at risk or nobody uh, didn't have the upper hand uh, just because I was in the fight with them. And yeah. I've been in some pretty uh, ugly fights uh, to the point where some injuries occurred. So I have a neck injury from 1996 yeah. to deal with. And um, you, you just, you muscle through that. Uh, and then I focused a lot on just building relationships with coworkers. Uh, but we all, the guys have to prove themselves too. So, and that's important to remember is even though you're small or you're female, you still, the guys have to do the same thing. They have to, to prove themselves. Uh, so we're no different. We're just unique. Yeah. Uh, I will say some of the biggest guys that I know were so soft compared to the, some of the smaller women that I knew. <laughs> like, I was like, wait a second. No, like, yeah. And so, you know, early in my career when I was naive and that I used to, you know, be that, be that person. And, and I'll own up to it. And, but it, it is, I love, I love your response to that. What actually got you to actually finally sign, like actually go, Hey, wait a second, I'm going to join the police force. Because I know you, you said you were, you were worried about, you know, the height and the, could you do it? What was it that actually you were like, no, I'm going for this. Uh, mentors. Uh, I had great mentors that I worked with uh, during uh, college. I didn't live on campus. Uh, I lived with my parents and, and actually in the city of Bellevue. Uh, and worked pretty much half time to three quarter time. Uh, worked at the local Sears store there and worked on the sales floor. Um, and I'd like to, I don't know how you would describe it, but I think I have a good ability to kind of read people. Mm. And so I'd oftentimes um, spot kind of that shoplifter type um, uh, look, you know, the looking around a lot, really nervous, uh, not truly shopping kind of look. And then I went into the loss prevention office. Uh, and the store actually was in the city of Redmond, uh, which is the adjoining city of, of Bellevue. And great officers from the city of Redmond said, yeah, you should really look at doing this and we'll support you. And so uh, I was in good shape because I played sports. So I wasn't worried about passing the, the physical. Uh, but they kind of talked me through what an oral board looks like. And, that, and here I am today. Um, and I've stayed in contact with some of them. They're all long retired. Uh, before me because they were probably five to ten years on when I started and really hope they're not working now so um, love the job but there's sometimes you get a, it's time to go so yeah now let's let's fast forward through that because I, I take it you've done you didn't touch too much on the different areas that you worked but over those 27 years I take it you worked a few different areas units and that um, within Belleville yeah yeah I uh, like everybody else in municipal police and you start in patrol I uh, did a few years there. Um, we were starting a school resource officer program 
uh, that went full-time, so assigned officers full-time to the schools in 1997. And that was about the, just before that was my first big trauma. It was actually October 17th, 1996. It's one of those you always remember. Uh, I was at the school handling an assault complaint and a shooting call came out across the street from the high school. In fact, I was, I, I heard the address. I'm like, well, that's right here. And I'm looking around, but it was uh, a house across the street. And um, uh, went to the call. We were right at shift change. And the address is in the very northeast corner of the city, uh, adjoining with the city of Redmond. And uh, it was two brothers, uh, 15 and 14, that were playing with unsecured firearms in the, in the house. And one shot and killed the other. And that that's that first uh, trauma exposure for me. Did CPR unsuccessfully and, and that. So uh, so I did that for a while, stuck with that. I actually kind of stuck around a lot for uh, the one brother that returned to school, the surviving brother. And then from there, I did a short stint in a like a community policing role in a neighborhood um, precinct, a substation, uh, where I had some neighborhood work. And then... Uh, moved into the public information world. So it was a public information officer uh, right through up until Y2K. And after that, uh, worked directly for the chief of police at the time. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, still today, I, again, wouldn't be here. I think that weren't for him always pushing me upward. Uh, and then did that, uh, got started promote. His expectation was promotion. So went through the ranks uh, up, uh, finally up to captain before I left in 1999. I'm sorry, uh, 2019. Uh, so did a bunch of different assignments. Um, I, if I had a specialist, probably traffic. I was a drug recognition expert for a long time. Wow. Uh, went to a lot of fatalities. Um, one of my first fatal uh, DRE cases was a uh, death of a Seattle police officer that was killed by a, a drug impaired driver in Seattle. So we had a regional support. Uh, and then I uh, continued to promote up from there and was very, very fortunate. Uh, I had lots of opportunities at Bellevue, which is a, a larger agency by municipal standards. Uh, there are almost 200 officers now, uh, but I got to do a lot of things. So I was uh, uh, in a special investigation group that did um, narcotics, human trafficking, uh, joint terrorism task force type work as a command, was a SWAT commander uh, for a while. Uh, traffic commander, patrol commander. So really good experience. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that experience. Set me up well for the, the chief's job here. Um, and then was a patrol, uh, also traffic uh, captain when I left in 2019. Wow. So you've done, you've done quite a lot of different stuff. I know you said that you kind of were done with the job at 27 years. Um, what do you feel caused caused that and I think you may have touched on it a little bit but um yeah what do you think caused you to kind of get to that stage where you're like I'm done I take it that's post like getting your full retirement pension or was it yeah Washington I was well I was eligible by time uh in service but not age uh so I I chose because I got a job down here in Oregon not to draw my pension until I was age eligible uh, it's 53 uh, in Washington State to do that. So I just held off. I had income down here. So just let it sit. Didn't take any penalties. Um, and now I'm drawing it. And I got to figure out where I got to hide money or tax write-offs because the IRS is coming <laughs> after me. But 
those are first world problems, by the way. Yeah, first world uh, problems, yeah. <laughs> world problems. Um, so I would say at the time, um, it was it was kind of a combination is uh, uh, Marsha doesn't know how to say no to things. Yeah. Um, and so I had been uh, a union executive officer in the officers guild, which was sergeants and below. And then as I promoted, the captains and majors have a um, management association and didn't really, wasn't really interested in doing that. Uh, but the outgoing president was retiring and said, hey, you know, you're the one who has this experience and they need you. And I said, yes. Um, but at the time we we had a chief there that was uh, came from uh, another state that was uh, I wouldn't say super um, union savvy. Um, and so uh, we clashed uh, over some issues. Um, and again, I've always, uh, the people who know me will know it's usually about everybody else and not me. So we're trying to protect some some rights for employees. Uh, and then there's a, a work performance expectation um, of always being uh, engaged in the job, uh, being available. Um, I, I remember uh, this chief saying, well, at, very, at the very least, it should be 45 hours uh, or more a week, um, which at the time we were trying to get some sort of callback uh, or so, something back. Um, and then just like on call, uh, kind of constant um, uh, activity and expectation of performance that I'm sorry, is a leader. We're not doing well by our people if we're pushing them to that edge. And frankly, I'm not the only one, probably almost everybody, some close friends have left um, uh, that agency because they got burned out. It was time for change. Yeah. And so you either um, take control of your work environment if you can, or you make a change. And I was going to make a change. Uh, I, I love that. Did you plan on going to a different department when you decided to leave there? Or was it a... a uh, no. Uh, if you had asked me in 2017, 18, if I was going to be a police chief, I'd go, no, no way. Um, so, but I've always uh, believed in, uh, I think, the, the importance of leadership is, is stepping up and taking care of the people. Uh, and this opportunity came along, and honestly, I just... I just put it all out there, who I was and what I brought to the table. Uh, I have a fantastic city manager here uh, and a fantastic group of of um, co-directors. And I would say, other than some of these incidents that have kind of tapped out um, kind of the emotional levels, uh, I wouldn't say I'm burned out. My commute's 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I probably work more than 40 hours, but I do that. Like tonight I'm, I'm going to reach a bunch of, um, elementary school kids after I'm done talking to you. Uh, and that will take me after work and that's fine. That those are fill the cup type of things. Yeah. Um, we won the dodgeball tournament, nice. uh, law fire dodgeball tournament two years in a row. So those are extra things, but they refill the cup, yeah. recharge the batteries. Um, but I think the important thing here is uh, I recognized it for a much better quality of life mm. uh, and is not disappointed at all. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome that you were able to fall into that and find that and go from somewhere where you were burned out and then into a new environment and, and actually make that. Would you say that 
partially some of that could be from um not having any expectations when you decided to actually take the chief job uh like not being in a place sorry let me rephrase that not being in a place of like desperation where you needed to find something different you had to find something better it was more of a you just did it because it was like oh yeah this feels right yeah i i think i had some options uh and i think that's having a soft landing regardless uh i think it was committed to making the change for one way or the other mm. and um whether i voiced it at the time or not i think you know my my body and my spirit needed the change and was going to force it one way or the other um, but I, I can honestly say, I think everything happens for a reason. Mm. So if I hadn't had the turbulence and the burnout at Bellevue, I wouldn't be here. And I'm really happy here. Yeah. I love coming to work. Uh, and I don't know if a lot of people can say that in policing right now or say it when they've done it for 30 years. Yeah. So, uh, great people. Uh, they, we laugh, we have a good time. Um, and uh, I had some really solid advice when I came down here. I beat out an in internal candidate for this job. He's still here. Wow. Um, uh, the best piece of advice I got from uh, Chief Sherry uh, Harris at Kirkland PD, awesome leader as well, to take care of the people that didn't get the job. Yeah. And so uh, my second call after asking permission to move to Oregon <laughs> from my significant other uh, was to uh, to the captain and saying, hey, um, I know this is probably not what you wanted, but I'm committed to getting to where you need to, to be. And he's been fantastic. Uh, great ally. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so true. You know, you, 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 you support you support everybody. And um, I know we'll get into I've got a specific question for you around that, but we'll we'll get into that here in a, in a, in a few. Uh, okay, so you so you moved over. I do have one question I wanted to ask about your previous 27 years. How do you believe that the traumas and the critical incidents that you went to assisted the lead into that burnout? Obviously you had other situations and that, that, that were going on at the end there that you were like, Hey, I'm, I've, I've got to go out. You know, you had the physical burnout from commuting so far and, and different things, but how, how would you say that the traumas of the job and the way that you maybe reacted to them or had the training towards them, or how to process them, uh, assisted with that burnout in the end? Uh, I, I think it's uh, trauma is a compounding uh, effect. I mean, you're, we do a really good job of just stacking them right on top of each other, and uh, they're going to come out one way or the other. Um, did my burnout and... Um, decision to leave have direct ties to the trauma probably a little bit but i really think it was just more about uh, uh enough was enough as far as just um balance there's no such thing as work-life balance it's work-life integration uh and i just didn't feel i had it and and it was suffering and so the, i think probably my decision to leave my agency where i was really really loyal for many years uh, had a little bit to do with, I didn't feel I was being taken care of. Yeah. I didn't recognize in uh, as a manager that we were being taken care of. Um, going back to some of those early uh, traumas, I would say we've come a long way. Um, I asked after that first um, accidental shooting death call, I asked some senior people, now, how do you navigate this? Because I'll, 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 a call will come out or something will 
be strange about this and I'll, you've got flutter of kind of anxiety that comes back. And they didn't really have any answers at the time. And now we, we uh, have some answers that we give people. Uh, well, first of all, that is normal yeah. to have those uh, and it's okay to have those. Um, and then some tools on how to navigate through that. Um, but I really kind of felt my my way through some of those early traumas uh, all by myself and with some colleagues. Uh, we did do a critical incident debrief on that shooting with the fire crew and the dispatcher. Um, some of us have stayed really tight since then. So that's how how good those bombs can be when you've gone through something. But uh, at the same time, uh, we we as an organization tend to just try to push through and um, it'll be okay. And on the outside, I might put a smile on my face and know I'm fine, but uh, we have to recognize that that trauma um, will take root, uh, whether we like it or not. We can either grow it and flourish it in something positive, or you can let it just wither from within. And uh, that's where we have to recognize that uh, and do something about it early. And you and I were talking about that before you were boarding. We have to start this early. Yes, no, it- my belief is do it before they even go to training um get that implemented in there and then do training and then keep it concreted in over the, at least the first couple of years during the you know tra- field training but you've had a, a, an, an exceptional um opportunity and i know you've used it well you've gone from a career where you had lots of fun you enjoyed it you know there was things that you that you would have liked to have seen differently from upper management from the guys that you worked with probably as well and then left because you were burned out and now gone into a situation where you're in charge. You get to create the, 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 what you want as such, um, from your learnings and experiences, what are like, what would you say the top three, maybe five, but probably three, um, things that you learned through your 27 years at a different department that you've now gone, okay, I'm going to make sure that those are different here at the department that you run. Uh, well, I'm a big subscriber to what's called le- uh, servant leadership in that um, I have the power here to influence the culture in a way that my job and every leader's job in this agency is about supporting um, the people that work for them to do the job to the highest level of excellence. Uh, I, it's well known that oh, we'll get compliments uh, from the community about something good and, or I love our TikTok videos, which we do a lot of those uh, and they're quite popular, but it's I always push the, the credit down to other people. Um, that is the best way to really um, make them want to come to work is they feel like they're appreciated and valued. They do good work. Um, easily for every complaint I get, there's a hundred compliments and we document every single one and the employee feels every single one of those compliments. So making sure that we're true to the servant leadership model, um, we give them the tools, support, and training to do their job to the highest level they can do. And if we have those in place and we have a good culture, they're going to be uh, good interactions out in the community, and that is really important. I love. Um, I, I love. Sorry, I love what you're going to say. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, number two is. Um, recognize that we are in the trauma business. It's what we do, whether somebody's car gets broken into and it's their worst day 
and we absorb that energy or we have actually experienced a trauma ourselves. We've gone to a suicide, a uh, baby death, uh, a murder, or been involved in an officer-involved shooting, something like that. We are in the trauma business and wrapping our um, processes and policies around that knowledge. Uh, and uh, from, like I said, from, from start to finish in their career on all levels, everybody gets that support. Um, and it, you can see it's sprinkled through everything that we do here. Uh, and then third is um, try never, ever, ever to let my own pride, ego, and emotions um, damage my leadership credibility with the staff. Um, I'm not going to please everybody. If you expect you're going to please everybody, you're going to fail. <laughs> but uh, treat people like human beings. Um, they're not afraid to come prank my office. Um, I always leave my office door open unless I'm in a meeting like I am right now. But if I'm away from work, my office door is always open. And that's a psychological thing I do intentionally so that um, they know they can always come and approach. In fact, while we were talking, a couple of them peeked in the window over there. So <laughs> they know that uh, that I'm approachable. But I also have to be mindful that I have captains, lieutenants, and sergeants between them and myself. And I, I, I don't want to undermine that because we are a paramilitary organization. But in the end... I go back to what one of my other mentors, Chief Montgomery, I mentioned him earlier, Chief James Montgomery, said, is I started to promote that um, I may be somebody's superior, but they're never my inferior. Mm. And so always remembering that lesson on how we treat people. I love that. I feel like so many people get that that rank and they they lose that 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 right there. That, you know, you might be their superior, but they're you're you know, they're not inferior to you, you know. Um and it's so important. You see it. You see it in the departments that probably have the higher burnout don't recognize a lot of what you said today, um, and and actually live by it. Um, so I know you joined to kind of transition a little bit. I know you joined as a chief just before COVID, just before all the George Floyd stuff, the riots, the the craziness that the world has seen the last few years. How did you How did you get through it? Um, what seems semi-unscathed. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's some scars there. Um, I can actually lift my arm from dodgeball, but um, it's, it, uh, no, I, I, it, I would honestly say it has been a tough three years, um, but I wouldn't do anything different. I, I, and that sounds weird, but uh, I moved to, uh, to a different state away from my uh friends and family all oh, my soccer i haven't played soccer in three years that's about to change um but i played soccer multiple times a week i missed that that was that was a great outlet um my 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 better half worked for uh a large municipal agency uh in washington you could do the math on that one that had a lot of riots uh and so we were separated during that time um they're now down here in oregon which is awesome um so there was some, um, I've always been okay with being by myself uh, and kind of doing my thing, putting in music, putting in a book, uh, working the yard, whatever the case may be. But it was a weird time for sure. Um, and really had to center and really, really had to take extra care of our people here. Um, so there's uh, about 100 employees that work here. Uh, and since I got here, I've hired 38 new employees. So that's a lot of turnover as well. 
So making sure that we're supporting, trying to do our best to keep people. I'm I'm happy to say we're pretty much fully staffed for officers. That's good. Uh, and nobody's leaving. We have one retirement coming, but nobody's leaving. So we're doing something right. Yeah. Uh, and people want to come work here. Uh, but we had a lot of change and, and change comes with stress. So uh, I think we just really took it one challenge at a time. Um, and we leaned on each other. I make no big decision uh, as the chief without input from the management team uh, and get because they're going to see uh, things that are probably in my blind spots. Uh, and we check each other a little bit so that that has worked out really well. And I'm very blessed that way. Um, but I think it's just taking it one challenge at a time. Uh, we have developed an official um, admin hallway, admin level saying uh, that basically describes the last three years. Um, and part of my language is like, for fuck's sake, really? Again? You know, when we just when we think something is past us, something else comes along. But we recenter uh, just a great, great group of individuals that, um, and we support each other all the way through. So, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that saying. It's like you know, let's just be a real for fuck's sake. Like, really, another <laughs> one? Um, yeah. No, I, I, I love that. And and you know, so obviously, you know, you did have to put a lot of focus into the guy, the people that work that work in the station there, and. The people that you lead, um, you lost soccer, which it sounds like is like my version of the gym. Like when I lost the gym during here in New Zealand, we won't even go into what we had going on. You know, here we didn't have the riots and stuff, but when it came to COVID, we, yeah. And so it, I know that feeling as well. It was like that losing the stuff that really keeps you grounded. Um, what did you do? I know you mentioned around, you know, gardening and putting a book in and that. What uh, what other things did you do during that time when you didn't have the things that would you'd normally lean on? Uh, I kept d- definitely kept busy. So um, they did not have an internal gym in the building. It's a brand new building built in 2017. Yep. Uh, but they didn't have a gym here. And we changed that during COVID. So we cleared out a space. Um, she actually right across the hall. Uh, from where at, and we um, didn't have any money for it, but we went out to our community. We have a very supportive community, and and said, "Hey, this is what we'd like to do, and why we want to do it. Why wellness is important." And uh, through community donations, we put in a commercial gym in the building. Oh. And uh, so it's open to all employees uh, and their spouses. Uh, they have to be present with their spouse when they do it, or when they come to work out, but they are welcome. Uh, and so we, we did that and that helped a lot to, you know, just have a treadmill in, uh, in house here, uh, and just kept active, um, uh, have a house on the coast as well. And so spending some time there, uh, getting out and about and, uh, everything was closed here too, restaurants and the like, you know, just doing what we could to try to have some normalcy and, uh, having the gym here was really important in that regard. Uh, but it's also was, uh, again, I'm okay with being just me and, and yeah. by myself. So I think that's important. I think some, some people really struggled with that, especially if they're very social mm-hmm. and, uh, that's okay too. And we're seeing the impacts of that, uh, on the outside of the backside, uh, of COVID. So just kept, uh, as many connections as I could. My, my better half came down in 2021. And so that's made things a lot better. So uh, staying active, 
being as healthy as possible. I would not say I'm a health nut. I love my my beer and wine, like everybody else, but uh, it's a balance. Uh, and so trying to be as uh, healthy as possible. Uh, and when times are tough, lean on the people that, that are going to be there for you. I love it. I love it. Sounds like you guys are doing some really good, amazing things there. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we can, you know, connect and, and I, mean, I can bring some of my stuff to you guys and learn more about what you're doing. But I want to actually ask that you guys are doing really well. You're retaining staff when the rest of the country seems to be losing staff faster than they can rehire them. Um, you know, you guys have, it sounds like really good wellness, good community, you know, the communities backs you in that um, really good things going on. What would you say it is that you do differently that maybe some of the other departments can maybe, you know, lean on or take and, and, and implement themselves to try and, you know, re, you know, use what you're doing that seems to be working so well? Yeah, first of all, Chris, uh, I'll never say that we're the experts and we're that we're perfect. Um, we're always trying to do it uh, better. Uh, when I talked about the gym, we actually had. Uh, community members that were connected with physical therapy uh, and like come in and give us advice on what to put in the gym, not just get a treadmill and, and lift, uh, elliptical, but what, what is that? What does it look like? And how's it going to serve all uh, the employees here? Um, and so going out to the people on the outside. Um, I think we, if I could say that one thing we do um, differently than I've seen. I teach a lot um, of leadership is um, we accept, again, that this is a very difficult job on employees, not just the sworn employees, all the employees, uh, our dispatchers, clerks, everybody. And so you have to take care of everybody the best that you can. So, um, and also knowing that wellness is not just about the psychological support or the emotional support, or the uh, physical fitness support, it, it's, a, it's a spectrum. And that um, having resources for people uh, to meet them where they're at, and you said this too, meet them where they're at and give them options uh, and don't expect that what works for Marsha is gonna work for Chris. Just a, a variety of uh, options. So when the minute they come in the door as a new employee, they get uh, introduced to the support systems uh, we, uh, invite the spouses in on that. Um, when they meet with the, uh, financial wellness, uh, presenters, the spouses come in, the spouses are invited to come in when they meet with HR to set up benefits and investments. Uh, we have a spouse, um, significant other, uh, kind of social support group. They just met yesterday. Uh, and so they, they talk about a little bit they spent an hour uh, plus talking about kind of how it's been a tough year so far and some things that the families might see in, uh, when their loved one comes home. And we had male spouses and female spouses in there. So it was a good mix. Uh, we have Bentley, the wellness dog. Uh, he's a big, goofy black lab, uh, and he lives here at the facility. So he goes home on occasion to take time off with employees. Um he likes to eat socks, so we have to be careful about that. Um, it's been a couple of vet visits, uh, but he's a great, great dog. He was donated by a great or organization uh, called Working Dogs Oregon. Uh, and then we have policies to reflect uh, what we say we do. Uh, by that, I mean we have uh, an on-duty workout policy for all employees, not just uh, police officers, all employees. 
So um, one of our property evidence technicians, she takes Bentley for a walk in the morning uh, is part of her um, wellness routine. Uh, we have um, people that will just go for walks when the weather's nice, when today's not a nice day. <laughs> it's kind of warm and snow out there today, but they'll go out for walks. Uh, and it, it's open to everybody. And the union president at the time that I came in, we talked about it and um, it shouldn't be an, a union negotiable item. And I hear that a lot. Well, that's a, that's a, um, that's a benefit to the employees. We need to negotiate that. Uh, then you don't, you're not all in. It should be just a standard thing. Because again, we're in the trauma business. Uh, we also have a, something called a restorative rest policy. Uh, so we work shift work. Uh, the officers, dispatchers work uh, either 10 or 12s. Uh, and we have lives. Uh, we have kids, sick kids, um, working spouses. We have stress. Uh, as we know, as you get older, sleep, uh, getting enough sleep when you're on rotating shifts is harder. So they, we have a restorative rest policy and some quiet room space here where they are allowed with supervisor permission to go and, and take a nap for an hour at a time. Um, and a lot of our employees are actually using that to use a device called AlphaStim which is a uh, cranial uh, energy device that basically redistributes the energy waves in your brain uh, to fight insomnia and anxiety. So uh, that comes from our contracted clinician that we have here locally uh, that su supports our staff uh, when they're not able to just kind of get through the stresses on their own. Uh, and a very comprehensive critical incident policy. Uh, it's a carve out so when officers involved in shootings or anything like that, um, they you'll hear they'll on paid administrative leave. Mm -hmm. um, that's the standard old. We, we actually carved something out of that because there's a stigma around uh, admin leave. Yep. So we have critical incident leave, and it's designed that anybody in the command staff, at the request of any employee or supervisor recommendation, can put somebody out on critical incident leave. Um, and we had to adjust it in some way because the there's no one size fits all for trauma. So for instance, we had a, a neighboring um, deputy from another agency commit suicide uh, in his house. Um, he is the son-in-law of one of our lieutenants uh, and his six-year-old father. And we responded to the call, a huge, tremendous impact on our staff, huge. Uh, and so the policy as it was written, we put the the directly impacted employees uh, out on critical instantly and gave them some time and space to process what had occurred. It was very, very uh, impactful to both this agency and the sheriff's office. Uh, and Albany's in two counties, so we have two sheriff's offices. Very, very impactful on, on the agencies. Well, what I came to find out is that we had employees that um, came to work and felt they had to stay at work but there, this really um, brought up some old, old traumas. Um, one in particular was one of our peer support uh, employees. Uh, his best friend had killed himself in a very similar manner, and he could not. He was a mess. Couldn't work. So I'm like, okay, on the fly, I'm gonna uh, we're gonna flex the policy, and anybody impacted uh, can go out uh, if it's one day two days, three days, whatever. If it's more long-term, we want a re-entry plan. Uh, kind of how are we with supporting that person? But nobody goes out on critical instantly without some support in place. Mm. 
I'm another trustee member. We have great chaplains here that are first responder focused, a uh, great organization. And then the clinician as well. Uh, that's all on top of the standard required psychological uh, interview that occurs uh, after an officer-involved shooting. This is all well and above that. Um, and I have the buy-in from our uh, human resources, my boss, uh, our insurers. And the one thing, Chris, um, it's not why we did it, but here's the side benefit to it. Both my workers' comp charges and my overall health care and my uh, leave usage all went down. Yep. It all went down. And that that's the financial gain to this, but that's not why we did it. Yeah. Uh, ah. So we have employees... Um, one of the officers that was involved uh, in the shooting a few weeks ago, he wants to come back to work. And this is the one that's going to retire soon. He wants to come back to work. I might have to stick him in the closet to keep him out of, out of harm's way for a couple more months. But he wants to come back to work. Um, where in the past, you might pe see people stay out longer. And that tells me that the culture is there to support the wellness. And those are things that I have power over. But I got to tell you, I'm not going to be able to do this unless I have the influencers in the agency bought in. Mm -hmm. So Marsha could say, we're going to do this and this and this, but I have to get the influencers, the informal leaders to buy in and they have. And so I'm fortunate there. That's awesome. I got so many questions that I know we're, we're you know, time-wise we're under um, constraint there. But uh, one thing I did want to ask, because I know the hurdle that I come up against with, you know, my training that I do is, is, is it comes down to that, that financial side of things. And it sounds like you've done a lot of different good things over the last three years and that, and I want to just, you know, hit the nail on the head. How do you financially make, you know, make that happen to be able to help those other chiefs and that out there that might be having that same hurdle. Maybe they have ideas that they want to do this, but it's getting that, that financial backing or the, ba you know, the, ba the secondary question to that, how'd you get the backing of your influencers as well? Well, with uh, some of this, I would say the vast majority of just the cultural tweaks are there, there's no cost to that. Yeah. There really is it's not. Um, the gym, we it was in the end of being about thirty eight thousand dollars worth of equipment, all paid for by community members, completely. Uh, the only thing I'm paying for in there was the TV, the the um, the cable TV in there, so they can. That's it. I mean, everything else was paid for. Uh, and it's high quality stuff and we haven't, we've had it in there for two years and it hasn't broken down once. So uh, invest that way. Um, and cause we, we get asked a lot, well, how do you pay for that? If you have a supportive committee, they'll step up and they did. Um, I think our biggest expense is we hired a company uh, organization called um, Sigma Tactical Wellness. Yeah. And it is a, um, uh, a basically a, uh, comprehensive diagnostic cardiac diagnostic organization that came here they're out of um texas came here did a, a complete cardiac review of uh anybody who volunteered to go through this it was not mandatory it's all covered under hipaa so i don't get any of the information i just get a kind of an overall agency health type report where they go do um labs they did a cardiac uh, CT to look for plaque, artery plaque, um, came in, did complete EKG um, and uh, biometaphysical uh, stress tests uh, and designed, um, not designed workouts, but said this is where you're optimally should be for workouts. I thought uh, for me playing soccer all my life, I'd be like, you know, 
heart rate of 140 running down the field. No, it's 95 to 105. Uh, it's a brisk walk. That's your your best rate to to sustain health and keep injury down. So that um, we that was our biggest expense. Um, uh, but the the informal leaders actually got everybody buy in. We had about 85 percent participation. Uh, we used monies that we would normally use to pay employees. We were down some bodies at the time. Uh, so those funds that we used for personnel costs got diverted to that program. And so the city paid for all of it. Wow. Um, you'd think that our insurers would pay for it, um, but they didn't uh, because they don't want to pay for preventive stuff. No. Uh, they want to keep costs low. So we know for a fact that four different employees have had cardiac interventions because of that. So, um, and your average heart attack is going to cost you four hundred thousand yep. dollars. And yep. in in Oregon, um, very likely that that heart attack will be work related. So it pays out of workers' comp. So just financially alone, it was a good investment. But that's our biggest cost by far. Um, and we have brought in trainers. We cost share with our agencies. So uh, I told you Dr. Kevin Gilmartin is coming in April. Uh, that's a cost share amongst six or seven partners. Uh, and we want to make it free. So we're all pitching in uh, a little bit of money here and there to make sure that he's taken care of on his speaking fees. But it's free to the employee to attend because it's going to encourage that. Uh, and again, cost sharing with your with your partners are going to be the best way to get them to buy into this. Um, How do you, yeah. I know that we've only got a few minutes uh, that we, you know, to kind of um, wrap up. Last question I really want to ask, or one of the last questions I really want to ask is around the staffing side. I know, like you said, you know, the in critical incident leave and that. How do you cover or not put the pre more pressure onto the other staff if you're having to, you know, take three or four officers off the front line? Well, let me see. Let me tell you what happened when you when you build a culture um, that looks out for one another. When we put out the page over the last three incidents, um, we got 10 more people than we needed to show up to help out. So uh, they're invested in helping out their coworkers. Uh, and we were able to once we were able to get everything stabilized and figure things out, then no issue. In fact, one of our, we have an officer out on a little bit longer term um, leave, and we had somebody from another team volunteered to switch teams for that period of time to keep the overtime, mandatory overtime down. So it went from like 12 shifts of mandatory overtime uh, to uh, two, because uh, his team, I had more people. And that was a voluntary thing. So I'm uh, again, I, I smile because it, it makes me more my little cold chief heart uh, because we just put out the page and more than we need show up. And that's pretty typical in uh, police agencies when you have a critical incident. But I've seen that people really step up when they need to. Yeah. Uh, so, Trent, it, it sounds like it's not just a thing of, all oh, they want to make more money or the like, like you see in a lot of agencies. It's an actual, hey, we're going to do this so that it reduces it down for everybody else. And actually, it's not that much off, not, not that much sweat off my back for a short time, for even a long time. Um, and yeah. so, is that helping side of stuff? No, I love it. There's been so much, and I know we could talk about so much more. Um, I do know that you know you said early on that you know you're all about looking out for other people, and you can see how that that's 
you drive from that and you have through your entire career and especially in what you're doing now. So I want to praise, praise you, um, uh, Chief uh, Marcia, for, for everything that you're doing. I have one last question before we wrap up. What is your top tip to self-happiness? Oh, man, that's the hardest one. Um, the only person that's going to make you happy is you. Uh, if, you're, if you're chasing it in um, salary, if you're chasing it in uh, rank or anything like that, the only person that's going to make you feel satisfied at the job you're doing, and, and it's going to sound really corny, but I actually believe it, um, is to go back to your why. Are you meeting your why? Why are you still doing this job? If you don't know why you're doing your job, whether it be policing or any other, and, and you're not invested, you're you're not going to be happy. Uh, it's time to make a change. And so I would say get back to your why. Um, and, and from the leadership perspective, if you're not recharging your own battery uh, and taking care of yourself, you're not going to be any good for your people. Uh, I love that. I love that. Thanks so much. Some great final words. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? Just look out for one another, especially in policing. Um, uh, we didn't get here overnight and we still have some work to do. Uh, we're just talking about some cultural buy-in on, on some of these things, making sure that we're getting people to take advantage of that workout time. Uh, but it all starts with we are human beings doing a very difficult job, and especially the leaders have a duty to take care of those people doing that job. Uh, if you can do that to some level that the culture feels it, we're not going to see the continued attrition out of law enforcement that we do. The other thing, too, I think is really, really significant. I've seen this in some of the big incidents across the country, is we cannot ever let institutional apathy take hold in our culture. Uh, George Floyd, uh, Tyree Nichols, whatever the case may be, there's apathy towards human life. And that starts from within. And we cannot let that set in in law enforcement. It's not us versus them. It's us supporting them. And we cannot do that. Um, but if we're not healthy, that's going to set in. Awesome. Great last words. Well, I want to thank you uh, for being here, for spending the time. Um, I know you're, you'll be very busy, um, you know, helping everybody out and doing what you do. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. And for everybody that's listened and watched this episode, again, like I said in the very beginning, just take one thing away. Whatever you're thinking about right now that's resonate with you, take it and start implementing it in. Just use that one little tool and you'll be a completely different situation in 12 months time. Uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Marcia, I'll put drop uh, links to her LinkedIn and uh, different details in the description down below. Um, and remember, my motto is still and always will be train hard, test easy, because especially in this profession, you are going to get tested regularly, whether it be verbally, physically, mentally. So you may as well train for it and prepare for it. Uh, Till next time, thank you all very much. And uh, again, thank you, Chief Marcia, for, um, for being here. Talk soon.